Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of DC Insider Employer Updates. I'm Bert Fishman, and today I'll be your moderator. In this episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Elizabeth Bradley, who is a specialist in this era and will soon present and speak on the general topic we'll be talking about today at the ABA conference, which will be about prevailing wage and the Davis-Bacon Act. Hi, Liz. Hello. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. And I'm also joined by John Clifford, whose practice covers a wide range of fair labor standards issues. Hello, John. Good afternoon, Bert. Hi, Liz. I'm excited to be here. Well, both of our guests today will give us their special insights into developments at the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor. Wage and Hour may be part of the Department of Labor, but it really acts like an independent agency. It issues its own regulations, it enforces its own standards, and it is in the middle of some of the most important issues in our economy, like minimum wage, like overtime, like who is or isn't an independent contractor, just to name a few. But this crucial agency is in flux, and that's where we'll start this session, John. Why don't you let us know what's going on at Wage and Hour? Well, Bert, just right from the jump, it seems that the most pressing question for the Wage and Hour administration these days is, who is going to be leading the administration for the rest of President Biden's term here? And as many listeners out there likely know, President Biden's nominee for Wage and Hour Administrator is Professor David Weil. He served in that same role during the Obama administration, in fact. But to date, his nomination has been controversial. The Republicans in the Senate have been staunchly opposed to his nomination. In fact, he didn't even make it out of committee in 2021. President Biden did renominate him in 2022 at the start of the year, and he finally made it through committee. But believe it or not, he only advanced because Senator Paul was absent from committee that day and wasn't able to vote. So by the skin of his teeth, he made it out of committee. But it should be noted, though, even though he made it out of committee, it's still up in the air about whether he's going to be confirmed. Democrats need every vote. Senator Manchin has mentioned that he has concerns about this nomination. In addition, Senator Lujan from New Mexico suffered a stroke earlier this month. Thankfully, he is expected to recover. But without his vote, one would think that it's likely that Weil may not have the votes necessary to move on. This is a year where we have a contested Supreme Court nominee. And in my experience, every time that happens, everything in the Senate stops. And we also have to remember that this is an election year and these guys are going to go off the campaign. It seems to me that Weil may be in the wings for a long, long time. But you mentioned, John, that he's somewhat controversial. And I know that one of his principal goals was to expand a kind of pro-worker agenda. Can you just tell us what that's all about and what its future might be? One of the things that does make him so controversial is what he tried to accomplish and in some respects did accomplish during his time in the Obama administration. He was a driving force in that administration for some of the 
employee-friendly moves that President Obama was pushed forward that many businesses felt were overstepping. Just as a few examples of what, as a reminder to the people out there, of the types of matters that they focus on during the Obama administration, increasing the salary threshold for exempt workers. If you recall, they wanted to increase it by nearly doubling the existing threshold at the time to approximately $50,000. It's now at about 35000 but it was, I believe, about 25000 at the time that they uh, made that proposal. And Bert, you touched on this, expanding the definition of an employee. And Professor Weil, that is one of his focuses, focused on independent contractors and joint employment. During the Obama administration, he issued a couple of administrative interpretations that really pushed this aggressively with regard to independent contractors. He did issue a second administrative interpretation on joint employment as well. He called for an expansive definition of joint employment that suggested that employers who possibly even who just share clients or customers could be joint employers or that a company could be a joint employer with a contractor if the contractor's employees are performing repetitive types of work. So these were significant expansions over what had been in place. And Bert, to your question of what makes him controversial, I certainly think a lot of businesses and employers out there have a close memory of what he attempted to do on the last go around and are fearful that that may be coming back. It seems to me that some of these principles are part of the president's agenda. So My question is, if there's any delay in confirming Wild, does it matter? Or will the agency and the administration continue to press forward with these issues? Whether or not he's confirmed, it already looks like Wage and Hour is intent on picking up where Professor Weil and the Obama administration left off. As John mentioned, Mr. Weil, in his previous stint in Washington, really had a focus on expanding the definition of an employee at the Wage Hour Division. The Trump administration rolled back some of those Obama-era expansions in favor of more narrow, business-friendly interpretations. Those Trump administration carvebacks, you know, the Biden administration has already done away with the Trump rules and guidance that didn't fit the Biden administration view. So even without him in role yet, they're already marching down that path and taking steps necessary to get to his view of the definition of an employee. From what you've said, John, it seems that a lot of this pro-worker agenda is kind of focused on this whole notion of who is an employee. And can you just explain a little further how Professor Weil got to it and how it's influencing the rest of the agenda? And what do you think it's going to happen in the future? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And I touched on this uh, briefly with regard to what was done during the Obama administration. But with focusing on who is an employee or who may be an employer under the joint employer test, what Professor Weil had tried to do previously was really expand those, uh, in the case of joint employer, expand those tests so that more employers could be considered or more businesses could be considered joint employers, even if they weren't directly employing individual workers. And with regards to independent contractors, tests have long considered sort of these elements of control that businesses may have over workers that they're using on an independent contractor basis. And what Professor Wiles tried to advance during the Obama administration and what I believe we're seeing now with the rollback of some of these Trump rules is, again, uh, bringing that focus back to not just the element of control there, 
but a little bit more aggressively looking at, are they doing the same type of work that the business does? Are they an integral part of that business? So again, you pick up pieces of it that have always been around, even during the Trump administration, focuses on control, focuses on who's telling the workers to do what work, but then these extra layers that are being added to it of the type of work that's being done. And you look around the current environment, work environment, where many employers are using these independent contractors to do all types of work. And there is a chance that many of them could be wrapped up in in Professor Ryle's opinion of who is an employer. Thank you, John. It's clear that we're talking about some of the most important and fundamental aspects of the wage and hour law. And Liz, I hope you can just help us boil it down a little and help us understand the impact of Wiles ideas and why they're so important for the economy. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to be thinking about here. First of all, the real impact is going to be on the gig economy. The use of independent contractors, I think we all kind of know, regardless of which test you're using, when you're completely supplementing your workforce and you have people in the exact same job title doing the exact same thing, one's an employee, one's an independent contractor, that's not going to pass under any of the tests, right? So what this is really looking at and thinking about is the gig economy workers and how are you compensating those? Employers are really going to see the impact is the cost of that, the cost of employing somebody, W-2 employee, and the back-end costs associated with that, including taxes and benefits, et cetera, as compared to having these individuals as independent contractors. Also, there's really going to be this focus on enforcement, I think. As we have discussed on many of the prior podcasts, we think that it's going to be a continuing theme of this administration to increase cooperation amongst the agencies for that enforcement. They're going to be looking for those violations of independent contractor status. And even if they can't get a new, more onerous test in place, they're going to be looking for that low-hanging fruit violations as well to the employees sitting next to each other. There's just recently an MOU issued between NLRB and the Wage and Hour talking about coordinating on enforcement, sharing of information, cross-training their investigators for violations against. So this is something that we need to be looking at. And recently, the AG of the NLRB announced that he was considering making misclassification of independent contractors under fair labor practice. So that's going to be a pretty significant change. And again, that goes to the coordination of efforts between wage and hour NLRB various agencies. Well, Liz, it sounds like they're making it harder to be an employer. And it's even harder to figure out if you're an employee, who and what you are. John, I know you raised this earlier, but if we can just go back for a second, because it was such a controversial issue during the Obama years with the courts coming in, and it had to do with the overtime threshold. You talked about that it was at a kind of $25,000 level and raised to a 35000 Is there any learning that we've had since then to know what the uh, Biden administration plans for that threshold? Well, at this point, we do know that they do have plans for that threshold, and we believe the plans are for it to go up. And I think this fits with Liz's point earlier uh, that with or without Wild, they seem to be moving forward on many of these agenda items. Uh, in the most recent uh, regulatory agenda, one of the goals listed by the agency was to update the salary level requirement uh, for these exemptions. So as you noted, it's already been increased by about 
$12,000 from what it started at during the Obama administration. If we see another increase similar to that, we're going to be getting to that $50,000 mark that they tried for nine years ago. So we'll see how that goes, but they certainly have a lot of plans for that moving forward. You know, and with the way inflation is going, uh, that $50,000 threshold looks more and more likely and less and less challengeable. One other thing that seems to be happening is the Biden's administration's effort to increase unionization. For example, just a few days ago, the White House issued a 43 pages of recommendations for how to increase union membership. And one of the key elements was working through the Davis-Bacon Act and through project labor agreements. Liz, I know uh, you'll be speaking on this uh, elsewhere soon, but I know I'm asking you a lot to explain these uh, terms, but can you give us an idea of what these terms mean and what their impact is? Absolutely. And so the White House focus on unionization, I think the first step of that is Marty Walsh, right? He is the first union leader to head up labor in 45 years. So his focus on unionization is starting at the ground level with this administration. One thing that's interesting for the Davis-Bacon Act, they've announced that they're going to modernize the Davis-Bacon Act. They've kept most of those changes pretty close to the vest, so and those are going to come out any day now. OIRA has completed its review. The next step, the notice of proposed rulemaking, to be published in the Federal Register. We expect that any day now. One of the changes that we're very confident is going to be in there is changing the way in which the Davis-Bacon Act wage determinations determine what the, quote, prevailing wage is. We expect that they are going to rely on local union wage rates to set the prevailing wage rate. The impact that is federal construction projects that are subject to the Davis-Bacon Act, whether you're a unionized workforce or not, essentially, you're going to have to be paying your workers what is essentially a union wage rate under the Davis-Bacon prevailing wage rates. Layered on top of that, on the 4th, on February 4th, Executive Order 14063 came out, which requires the use of project labor agreements for any federal construction projects that hit the $35 million amount. And when we're talking federal infrastructure projects, $35 million is going to be a pretty easy threshold for them to, for, to get to. And this layers what is subject to a project labor agreement. It essentially leapfrogs your obligation to go through an election. You have to enter into an agreement with a labor union for the scope of that project about the terms and conditions of employment for the workers performing work on that to cover any projects that's going to be over $35 million. So that executive order came out on February 4th. The FAR Council has until June 4th to issue proposed regs implementing that obligation. But it's just these various steps layering on really enhancing the opportunity for unions to get into all private workforces. Thank you, Liz. I know that with the infrastructure bill already passed, there's hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars of construction projects planned. So this is going to influence the entire country in every which way. And we're all looking forward to seeing how that develops. Well, I know uh, we've uh, used the time that we've allotted for this. I want to thank everybody for joining. But before we leave, I'd like to ask our speakers if they can give us some takeaways from this presentation about the wage and hour topic. John, what What's your takeaway? 
Thanks, Bert. I'd just leave with, we know that David Weil is in the news. Everybody's interested to see if and when he might be confirmed. But the fact is this White House is moving forward with or without him, and they are implementing their agenda and increased enforcement coming along with it. So they are moving right along and not waiting for any confirmation. Liz, take away from you. There's a lot of rulemaking coming around. Davis-Bacon proposed rules, rulemaking on the uh, PLAs. You have an opportunity to have your voice heard. Engage in the rulemaking process. It's important. It does drive the way regulations will ultimately be issued. So let your voice be heard. I guess my takeaway is to alert everybody again to there may be a lot of rulemaking coming, but we've just had a kind of sea change from the Supreme Court about what kinds of rules they're going to approve and why. So many a slip between cup and lip. There's going to be a lot of resistance to uh, many of these regulations and goals from the Biden administration, and I caution everybody to keep their eye out for that. Well, thank you, Liz. Thank you, John. We thank you all for listening. We hope you appreciated this uh, insight into this uh, overlooked but critical part of our uh, government. And I hope you'll join us all for the next uh, DC Insider. And please check out our website, FortneyScott.com, to learn about our employment law webinars. The next one is on the very active NLRB, about which uh, gave us a brief introduction. So thank you again for joining us, and goodbye. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.